Thanks for being here this morning. You have a Bible. Turn to Psalm chapter 27. Psalms chapter 27. I'm actually going to read three different passages, which I normally don't do at the beginning, but uh, stay in Psalm chapter 27 this morning. Psalm chapter 27. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and verse 14. Then Acts chapter 2, 42 through 43, and Revelations 5, 11 through 13. But Psalm... 27, it's on page 460 of the Pew Bible, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 5 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the living, and the four living creatures said, Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the chance we have to gather at the beginning of a week to hear your word, to sing your word, and to be together. Lord, pray the Holy Spirit right now, you just remove every distraction. Help us to open our hearts to you. And help us to see the, the greatness of the ability to gather. And you just encourage our hearts. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Starting at the end of this year, we've been taking a few weeks just to go over some foundational things as we start a new year. And we looked at being a, from Jeff, from Psalms 1, being an oak tree kind of Christian with have strong roots. One of those roots was prayer that we looked at the, ne- the last week. And the other Root that we looked at from last was just gentleness and reasonableness from Second Timothy. And this morning, I want us to look at the importance and the root of gathering. Of why, what are we doing when we gather together as a local church for worship? And why do we do what we do when we gather? Why do we do this? And what are we doing when we do it? And the reason I want us to look at it is I want to put some weight to it. Not put some weight to it. I want us to recognize the weight of it. 
particularly if you participate on a Sunday morning service in any way, and even as we listen and as we participate through being here in a on a Sunday morning service. The word church in the Bible, from the Greek word was ekklesia, which is translated church, which was just the general word used for gathering, a gathering of people, which is what we are doing. This past week, or recent last two weeks, Mark Zuckerberg, a guy who started this little thing called Facebook, where all your friends yell at you for not agreeing with him, but what they put out there, he recognized this problem with Facebook. And recently he has decided to take a trip around all 50 states to try to get to know the people who are using his Facebook. And he was down in Texas this past week meeting with a group of pastors and single moms and moms who've moved back into their small towns so that they could be a part of and let their kids grow up learning the values that they grew up in. And after this meeting with these pastors and with these people down in Texas, Mark Zucker would put on his Facebook, this is what he said. He said, this trip has helped me understand just how important community is and how we're all just looking for something we can trust. We may come from different backgrounds, but we all want to find purpose and authenticity in something bigger than ourselves. That's Mark Zuckerberg, who has all the money he could possibly imagine, has everything he wants that the world has to offer. And what he's recognizing is, hey, we're all the same. We all want to find something that we can trust, and we all want to find something that is authentic, and we all want to be about, about something that is bigger than ourselves. Where did that come from? Why is that in him? Why is that in all of us? No matter where you go, across the country or across the world, that's what we all desire. And God designed it that way for us, and he designed it so that we would, and he wants us as a church and as people, to gather. The reason that we gather together once a week the reason that we gather is the greatness of God is why we gather. Psalms 27 says in verses 2 and 3, the author says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, when there's adversaries, when there's foes, when there's people who are trying to make him stumble and fall. I mean, we get that, don't we? That's how most of us would say we spend our life. You go to work. There's all kinds of people, including yourself, just trying to make it through. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. There's difficulties. There's darkness. Life is difficult. Life can be hard. When we read Psalms 27, 2 and 3, we get that. We understand that part. We sense and feel regularly that reality. But verse 1 overseeds all of that. And he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I've said often, we live in a, the Route 34 corridor, which is a good community. There are, there are good people who live in this area. They work hard. They love their wives. They love their children. Wives love their husbands. There's a sense of desire to just to work hard, succeed, get things done, accomplish things. And for a lot of people, we would say, you know, they're 
good people. We're good people. We're the salt of the earth, Midwestern kind of people. But the great sin of the Route 34 corridor, and all those things are good, but the great sin of the Route 34 corridor is that God is not the center of it. For the vast majority of people who are doing all those things, loving their wives, loving their husbands, loving their kids, supporting their schools, working hard at their jobs, they're doing it with God not being the center of it. That's the great sin. What we are called to do is have God be the center of all of our lives. And that's the problem. God isn't the center of all of our lives. And so we need to gather because we need to see that God is great. And the greatness of God is why we gather. The Bible says, the Lord is my light. In all these different passages of the Psalms, it says God is light. God wraps himself in light. God lives in unapproachable light. But Psalms 27 is the only passage that directly says God is is light. That's who he is. What Mark Zuckerberg is looking for is some light. What all these people around us and what we're all looking for is some light. To figure out the way this life is supposed to be worked out. And the Bible says that God is the light. And the best correlation to that is in John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And Jesus is the light. The reason that we gather, the reason we get together, is because the greatness of God is why that we gather. The psalmist Someone said, is affirming that even in the darkness of the terrible threat of war, he has no fear, for God is the light that can dispel such fearful darkness. And we gather together each week to remind each other of that. Because the truth is, as you're going through your week, as you're working, as you're dealing with evildoers, people who want to assail you, your adversaries and your foes, your financial problems, your family issues, your own failings. We easily forget these things. And we slog through the week and God says, hey, get back together once a week. Gather to see the greatness that I am the light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And he is a deliverer. He's a stronghold. He's our refuge. And week after week after week, we gather to see the greatness of God, to know the greatness of God, and to be reminded of the greatness of God. That's why we gather. And our gathering together should be a central part of you gasping at the greatness of God. I was out in Colorado a couple years ago, and I think I mentioned this before. The first time, I think it was three years ago, I've never seen the Rocky Mountains in person. I've seen them on pictures. I've seen them on TV. But I was getting a tour of the Denver area, and we were coming up this road. We got to the top of the road, and all of a sudden, the white peaks of the Rocky Mountains. And I literally gasped out loud. I was just talking, and all of a sudden, I looked up, and That came out of my mouth spontaneously because of the greatness of the Rocky Mountains. And the God that we get together to worship, the creator of the mountains, 
whose Son is Jesus Christ, who calls us to gather. He's the reason that we gather. He's the reason that we worship. And as we gather, it should be central to us to say, I'm drained this week. I've had difficulties. I've had foes. I've had people trying to eat my flesh up almost, it seems like. I'm stressed out. I'm failing. I'm struggling. And the natural tendency is to say, I'm just going to stay home and rest up. But we're missing the point that the reason that we gather is because the greatness of God helps us get together and say, oh, yeah. Now I remember who's really in charge. And for a few moments together, we we gasp in the awe of the greatness of God. The greatness of God is the reason you're called to gather. And you might be here and say, you know what, God's not that great. I read the letter this week of a former governor's daughter who was hoping her dad would catch a break. She's writing, and she talks about the difficulty of her last few years, the difficulty of her life. And in this letter, she just talks about how she can't believe in God anymore. God's not, she said, been there for her. It was a very sad letter. And I know she feels that way, and maybe you feel that way too, but the Bible says it's not true. God is the light. He is our salvation. He is the one who goes through things with us. And Jesus is the light of the world. And he is a God that understands suffering and pain. He came, he, he walked it through us. There's no other God like that. There was no other God who created everything, who is sustaining everything, keeping it all together, but who came into that world that he created and suffered like that. So he understands suffering. If you say, I don't think God's that great, God would say, I know you don't think that God's that great. Let's talk about it. Don't run away from me. I have felt, Jesus would say, sometimes great, great pain. So bring your pain to me. But we gather. We gather because of the greatness of God. And then God gathers us to magnify his greatness. And that's not arrogance. What would be very arrogant or wrong of God is to not call us together to magnify his greatness. If there was something greater to discuss, if there was something greater to get together and magnify, then God would say, do that. But the greatest person, the greatest God, the only true God that there is to be magnified is God himself. And so when God says, hey, I'm gathering you to magnify me, in the midst of all these difficulties, because I'm the light, that's not arrogance. That's God's grace to us. Because David says this, one thing I've asked of, after all his difficulties, you know, these, these evildoers, these enemies, the fears that he has, the struggles. Verse 4, he says, one thing I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek of, after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He wanted to come together into the temple of God back then so he could gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And then gazing on the greatness of God and magnifying him would help him in his life to see things the way he should be really seen. That's why we gather. God gathers us to magnify His grace, greatness. We don't have to go to the temple like they did in the Old Testament anymore. The Bible says if, as followers of Christ, Jesus is in us. 
And so we are the temple. And so when we gather together, it's the temple of God that he's brought together in this local area, in this local church. Individuals whose lives have been changed by the greatness of God. And as we see that together, we can magnify him. And that's why God gathers us. It's encouraging for us to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in someone's life. And how God's working. Recently, Tim came up and announced to the church and he told us, Hey, pray for me. I've just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. But what Tim told us as elders the other day was, he goes, back in college, we had a situation come up that was devastating. He goes, and the way I, the, what I did when that situation came up was go and pretty much drank myself silly. But now as God's worked in my life in this situation, what came up is I prayed. I went to God first and I went to the church to pray for me. That's the greatness of God being magnified in Tim Campbell's life. And the way you know that story and see the greatness of God being magnified in Tim's life because you gathered together on a Sunday with other people to hear the story of the greatness of God, how he can take an 18-year-old throwing his life away and transform that life so that years later he's glorifying God greatly with that life, even through difficulties and suffering. That's the greatness of God. And God gathers us together week after week to magnify His greatness. That's why the Bible says He's called out a people for His name. And Psalm 26 verse 8 says, O Lord, I love the habitation of Your house and the place where Your glory dwells. And verse 12 says, My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. I mean, your gathering and my gathering should be a consistent part of your commitment to make much of the glory of God. This is a weighty thing that we do Sunday after Sunday because the greatness of God is why we gather and God gathers us so that we can magnify His greatness. And it's not arrogant on God's part. It's very good for us. As a matter of fact, your participation in gathering is a great gift of God's grace to you. Because it says in verse 5, For he will hide me. As David went into the temple, and as he dwelt and gazed upon the beauty of the Lord to inquire in his temple, then he prays, and it changes. And he says, For he will hide me in his shelter. and the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. I mean, the Bible does say in Hebrews chapter 10, and sometimes we get, feel like we're getting beat up with this, But it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We're called by God together. So don't neglect it. And even in the early church, there was still an issue of neglecting it. Our worship gatherings here at Cornerstone last about 75 minutes. Just a little bit over an hour. From a week that has 168 hours in that week. And if we really believe as Christians that God is to be the center of our lives, 
That we were created to glorify Him. He gathers us to magnify His greatness. And the participation in His gathering is really a gift of grace to us. Do you know what the percentage is of 75 minutes of your week? Really? It's about 0.5952% of your entire week. For most is spent gathering together and worshiping and magnifying God, it's not that much. But in that little time, much is being accomplished. It's a gift for us. It tells us that we're not alone in the struggle. It tells us that we're not alone in the battles of life. And God says, hey, I want you to get together. This is for your good. This is for you. It's to help you. It's to encourage you. You're not alone. And as I work in your life, I want you to magnify that and show that to other people. There's an old Swedish proverb that says a shared joy is a double joy. And some of you know the reality of this. You've come into church, you're dogging it, you mean you're fighting with your kids the whole way, you're yelling at your wife, you're angry, you walk in, all of a sudden everybody's happy and sitting all nice to each other, and you're miserable inside. And somebody gets up and they read some scripture. Or you hear a song. Or the word of God speaks. And you know you got some work to do on the way home, but you're not walking out the same way you came in. It's the greatness of God in giving us this gift of gathering. But why do we do what we do here? There's no single passage in the New Testament, D.A. Carson says, And he's right. There's no single passage in the New Testament that establishes a paradigm for corporate worship. You can't look up a passage and say, do this when you gather, do this, do this, do this. But there are certain things that throughout Scripture they said, this is what you should do when you gather together at this time to magnify and glorify God. This is what you should do. And here's what we do. I want to just go over real quickly why we do what we do when we gather on Sundays. And I put it in the order of the way that we do them. We want to see Jesus every Sunday. The Bible is all about Jesus. Jesus himself said the Bible is all about Jesus. What we need in our lives more than anything else is Jesus. We need to see Jesus. We need to live like Jesus. We need to understand Jesus. We need to let Jesus guide our lives. And as we do that, we are glorifying God. Everything that God the Father did was to make much of Jesus. So when we get together on Sundays, we sing the word to each other. So Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It's no entertainment when we worship with your music. It is helping us through songs see Jesus. We pray the word. In 2 Timothy 2.1, we are called to pray. This is why we pray corporately. That's why I pray over the children. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And it's a reminder that Jesus prayed for kids. He wants kids to come. We read the word together. The Bible says, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. We believe it's the word of God that changes lives. That's why every time I preach, I don't give you a story before I open God's Word. I don't say hardly anything except turn to the passage and read. 
Because what I want you to know is the most important thing you're going to hear is the Word of God. And I want you to see it. I want you to see it with your own eyes. I want you to feel it. And I want you to say, yeah, I see where Paul is getting that. I see that. Because it's God's showing it to me. It's the Word of God that will change our lives. So we read the Word and we preach the Word. And we relish and enjoy hearing the Word because that's what will change and transform our lives. And then we observe the Word through communion where we take the cup and we take the bread. And we remember that Jesus is the Word. And Jesus' life was really broken for us. And His blood was really shed. And he rescues people because of that. People who are going one way, away from God, God came for them, rescued them, and he came for us. Not because we deserve it, but because of what and who he is. And he rescued us. And so we get to see that when we baptize someone publicly. To say, I've been rescued by the Word. So we sing the Word, we pray the Word, we read the Word, we preach the Word, and we observe the Word. And the Word is Jesus. And your gathering should be a crucial part of you making much of Jesus and the Son of God. It's the Word of God that will change us as a church. You can get how to fix your lives practically from all kinds of Self-help books. But what we need is God to speak to us through his word. And central to our gatherings is the word of God. And our goal in gathering, because of that, is for a greater witness of the glory of God in your life and in the life of others. Psalm 27 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. As we do this, week after week after week, and say, this is important that I gather. This is weighty that we gather. This isn't like any other club that I belong to. This is for me to get together Sunday after Sunday with the people of God who are struggling, plowing through just like me, to be reminded of the gospel of God and the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have through him so that it can be shared in your life, what God's doing, and in the lives of others. It's this process, so we just wait for the Lord. We wait for the Lord, and we be strong in the Lord. We let our hearts take courage in the Lord. It's this process over time that God's doing. One Sunday gathering alone isn't enough. He just keeps putting them together, putting them together. And through that presence, 18-year-olds who deal with their problems by drinking themselves silly, years later, are turning to God first and magnifying him through this process, through this presence, and through this person of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing, weighty thing that we get to do when we gather on Sundays. It's a very important thing that God has called us to do when we gather on Sundays. It's a corporate 
public thing that we get to do when we gather on Sundays. And it's a gift to us. Hazel Ying Lee, who was the first African-American pilot, said this, and it's not totally about corporate worship at all, but it's a great statement. She goes, I held a moment. She goes, I, I held a moment in my hand, brilliant as a star, fragile as a flower, a tiny sliver of one hour. I dripped it carelessly. Ah, I didn't know I held opportunity. The truth is, you may say, I don't really think getting together at church is all that big of a deal Sunday after Sunday. God says it's a great deal because I call people together to magnify me. I call people together to worship. I call people together to encourage them. It's just a sliver of an hour, but it's a gift to you. Don't let it drip carelessly. It's a great opportunity for God to do unbelievable things in your lives through real people. I mean, I love church. I love the quirkiness of it. I love the mistakes. I love the babies crying. I love when someone drops their Bible. I can't find it and flip through. I, love the, I just love it because it's real human people with the Spirit of God in them coming together for the purpose of worshiping God. If you don't see it that way, ask God to open your eyes to that, that He would help Him see God, see Jesus through what we do here, and say, I want more of that. I want to feel the weight of that. I want to see God through our gatherings. Your corporate worship is a call for a special proclamation that it is to be carried with a humble perseverance. And what we get here is to be shared with a broken world. People who are longing for some hope and some help. So this isn't a waste of time. This is life for us. This is where we find encouragement. This is where God spoke, speaks to us in many ways. A broken world needs to hear that he's confused. And they want to find hope. And they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And God says, I am it. Gather, come worship, and come together and proclaim my faithfulness. Let's pray. In the palace in the land of mercy, the king looked out from his throne. He saw the sick and the homeless and hungry. He saw me lost and without hope. And moved with compassion, he sent out his only son. the invitation to come. This is your invitation. Come just the way you are. Come find what your soul has been longing for. 
temptation So I stood outside the gates and threw In my rags of unworthiness Afraid to even stand at a distance In the presence of holiness And just as I turned to go The gates swung open wide the king and his only son, they invited me inside. This is your invitation. Come just the way you are. Come find what your soul has been longing for. Come find your So now will you come with me To where the gates swing open wide And his only son Are inviting us inside This is our invitation Come sinner as you are Come find what your soul has been Long for Come find your This is the invitation.